In this episode, we are studying Genesis chapter 35, and it is here that we see Jacob returning to Bethel before seeing his father Isaac at Hebron and enduring several more trials. So join me as we continue our walk through the Old Testament. Genesis 35 can be divided into two main sections. The first section, we see Jacob returning to Bethel in verse 1 to 15. The second section is the birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel and Isaac in verse 16 to 29. Let me start by reading verses 1 through 8 in Genesis chapter 35. God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. And so he called its name Elom Bakuth. This chapter begins with God telling Jacob to go up to Bethel and to stay there. Now Bethel is likely about 15 miles south of Shechem. Jacob is to build an altar there to God in commemoration of God's faithful guidance. God identified himself as the one who appeared to him when he left Canaan, fleeing from Esau. And this trip back to Bethel will allow Jacob to fulfill his vows that he had made back in Genesis chapter 28, verse 20 to 22. Let me just read that vow as a reminder to all of us. Genesis chapter 28, 20 to 22 states, and this is Jacob speaking, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. You'll notice that in verse 1, God actually tells Jacob to make an altar there. And this is the only place in Genesis that we see God commanding anyone to build to him an altar. So, in response to God's orders, Jacob instructs his entire household to prepare themselves for the trip to Bethel. And to complete his vows that he had originally made at Bethel back in Genesis 28, Jacob had to sanctify himself and his household. So what Jacob does is he commands his household to get rid of their foreign gods, indicating that there were some in his household that continued to worship or at least value these deities. Now, some of these gods or idols may have been brought from Haran, 
like the household gods that Rachel had stolen back in Genesis chapter 31, verse 19. And other gods might have been taken from the pillage of the Shechemites back in Genesis chapter 34. So Jacob ordered his household to purify themselves so that they could be in the presence of God without any danger. Now, this includes some sort of ritual purification that included bathing, shaving, putting on clean clothes, and this purification symbolizes the removal of all that was unclean and sinful. Jacob tells his entire household that they were going up to Bethel, where Jacob would build an altar to God, who had helped him in his distress and who had been present with him throughout this long journey. The people responded willfully by giving Jacob all of the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears. I think these earrings must have had some sort of religious significance. And we see that Jacob disposes of all these idols, earrings that they had collected, burying them under an oak tree at Shechem. Now we see here in this passage that as Jacob's household travels along the road to Bethel, again, about 15 miles south of Shechem, God puts some sort of supernatural terror upon the people of the towns around Shechem. These local inhabitants therefore feared Jacob's house, and it restrained them from taking any type of vengeance against Jacob's family. Their plunder of Shechem, I think, must have aroused some sort of hatred or animosity with the other locals. So Jacob and his family needed God's special protection to travel in safety. And when Jacob arrives at Luz, which again is also called Bethel, he builds an altar. And he calls the place El Bethel, which literally means the God of the house of God, in remembrance of God's self-revelation to Jacob when he was fleeing from Esau back in Genesis 28. And you'll notice that the name El Bethel, the God of the house of God, this name shows that Jacob was focusing more on God himself rather than the actual location. And Jacob views God as holy more so than the actual location as being holy. Now, notice that at the end of this first uh, reading or this first section in verse 8, that Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, is uh, reported as dying and being buried under the oak. And this place is called Elan Bakuth, which means the oak of weeping. And this was a memorial to commemorate uh, this matriarch. And it's interesting to note that in this second part of Genesis, that the matriarchs stood pretty much parallel alongside the patriarchs. And the matriarchs played a key role in fulfilling God's promises to Abraham. I do think that this death report is a bit particular because rarely does the Hebrew Bible recount the death of women, especially a handmaid, and nowhere else does it ever introduce a person by name through a death report. Now, Deborah is first introduced unnamed in Genesis chapter 24, verse 59, and Deborah had probably been with Rebekah her entire life. This death report is important because it brings closure to Jacob's relationship with Rebekah, his mother. In the book of Genesis, there is no further reference to Rebekah after Jacob flees Canaan 
in Genesis 27. And we have to assume that Rebekah probably died while Jacob was in Haran. So this death report of Deborah, her nurse, compensates for the absence of an account of Rebekah's burial. And by attending Deborah's burial, Jacob was participating vicariously in the burial of his mother. Well, let's continue by reading verses 9 through 15. God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken to him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. So in this next section, we see that God again appears to Jacob and he blesses him. Now, given the preceding report of Deborah's death, this appearance of God must have come sometime after Jacob built the altar that God had commanded him to build. And since Jacob's name had been changed outside the promised land, God reaffirmed the change of Jacob's name to Israel in the promised land of Canaan. God again renews the covenantal blessings originally given to his grandfather Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 verses 4 to 8, now again to Jacob himself. God identifies himself here as El Shaddai, God Almighty, and it's the same name he used before renewing the covenant with his grandfather Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. His offspring were to be so numerous that they would develop into a nation, and also kings would come from his body. And this again repeats the original promise given to Abraham made in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6. And the land that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac, God promises to give to Jacob and his descendants. And after giving this blessing, God leaves. Now, in response to God's appearance and blessing, Jacob sets up a stone pillar. Now, he either could have erected a new stone, or he could have rededicated the stone that he had originally set up earlier, back in Genesis chapter 28, verse 18 and 19. And he consecrates this pillar first by pouring out a drink offering on it, and then by pouring oil on it. And this is the only time in the book of Genesis that a drink offering is alluded to. And a drink offering in this case is simply a ceremonial pouring out of wine to God, as is mentioned here. Jacob again calls this place Bethel, which again I had explained back in Genesis 28 as meaning the house of God. Now just as God had reaffirmed the promises to Jacob, Jacob reaffirms his commitment to God by setting up a pillar. And just as God had restated that Jacob's new name was Israel, so Jacob again names that site Bethel, as he had done when God had first appeared to him in Genesis 28. 
Now, let's continue to the second half of this chapter, where we read and understand four key events. Event number one, Rachel dies as she gives birth to Benjamin. Event number two, Reuben sleeps with his father's wife, Bilhah. Event number three, a list of Jacob's children. And the fourth key event, Isaac dies. So let's read the first section or the first event beginning in verse 16 to 20 regarding Rachel's death. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. So as we see in this section, having left Bethel and still some distance from Ephrath, located in the territory of Benjamin, Rachel goes into hard labor. And her midwife is comforting her, saying, Don't be afraid, for you have another son. Now remember that Rachel had expressed her strong desire for more children, in fact naming her firstborn son Joseph, meaning adding or adding more sons. So at long last, that longing was being fulfilled, but it came at the cost of her life. She named her second son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow or son of my wickedness. Now, mindful of the importance of a name, Jacob quickly renames him Benjamin, meaning son of the right side or son of my right hand. Jacob then buries Rachel beside the road leading to Ephrath and set up a pillar over her tomb. Now, this is the fourth time we see Jacob erecting a pillar. The first was in Genesis chapter 28 at Bethel. The second time was in Genesis 31 at Galid. The third time was back in Bethel in this chapter in verse 14. And then here we see the fourth pillar. And this reveals the great honor that Jacob had bestowed upon Rachel. For this pillar gave Rachel a perpetual memorial in the promised land here in Canaan. Well, let me read to you the next two verses, which recounts Reuben lying with his father's concubine, beginning in verse 21. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. So we see here that Israel continues the journey beyond the Tower of Eder, and there his son Reuben sleeps with his concubine Bilhah. The wording of this text strongly suggests that Bilhah was in full compliance with Reuben's advances. Now, while the biblical text doesn't offer any explanation for Reuben's act, he probably wanted to influence his leadership in the clan. One commentator suggests, though, that Reuben did not want Bilhah to become the matriarch of the family in place of Leah, his mother, especially since Leah had never received from Jacob the affection that she so much desired. There's another commentator that suggests that perhaps Reuben was just trying to replace his father as the head of the clan by some sort of pagan procedure. 
But we see here that, unfortunately, Bilhah likely continues to live as a widow because after this sexual relationship with Reuben, she could not be legitimately joined to a man again. And it parallels the fate of David's concubines after David's son Absalom had slept with his father's concubines in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 20. So when Jacob learns of Reuben's treachery, we see here that he takes no definitive action, similar to his passive response to the rape of his daughter Dinah back in Genesis 34. I think here that Jacob's self-control bears additional witness that his character had indeed changed when he was at Peniel back in Genesis chapter 32 when he wrestled with God. He no longer resorted to trickery, to retaliate, or to bring on revenge over those who had offended him. Reuben's act, however, disqualified him from the privilege of being the firstborn. We will later see that he loses his birthright and is rebuked by his father Jacob in Genesis chapter 49, verse 3 to 4, and it's again restated in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. I'm not going to read the next five verses, but verses 22 to 26 gives a list of Jacob's 12 sons. And we'll notice here that Leah's sons and those of Zippah, her handmaid, frame this list, while at the center are the sons of Rachel and Bilhah, her handmaid. And this type of structure highlights that Rachel and Bilhah's children are given additional prominence over Leah's sons and her handmaid son, Zippah. Well, let me continue reading, beginning in verses 27 to 29. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mem, or Kerab Abba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. In the final three verses of this chapter, we read the account of Isaac's death, signaling the close of the main portion of the Jacob narrative. Isaac's death coincides with Jacob's traveling to the south. And this report prepares us for the genealogies of Esau in chapter 36 and Jacob's in the first verse in chapter 37. The location of this report suggests that the chronology of these events may not be exactly chronological. Isaac died when he was 180 years old. In comparison, Abraham died when he was 175 years old, so Isaac actually lived five years longer. And on the basis of this age, Isaac probably lived about 12 years after Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt. And the phrase old and full of years meant that Isaac had lived a long, happy life under God's blessing. His two sons, Esau and Jacob, buried Isaac in the cave of Mahilah. And we see this recorded in Genesis chapter 49, verse 29 to 32. I think here uh, we may assume that this is actually the first time that Esau and Jacob uh, reunited since their reconciliation back in Genesis 33. Note that it is also the cave of Mahilabah that Abraham and Sarah were buried, 
Isaac and Rebekah were buried, and later we'll soon see that Jacob and Leah will be buried there too. And seeing that Jacob and Esau honoring their father with this proper burial, it parallels what we saw with Isaac and Ishmael back in Genesis chapter 25, verse 9. So just a brief recap of Genesis chapter 35. First, we encounter three deaths. There's Deborah, Rachel, and Isaac. We also witness God renewing his promises to Jacob and Jacob renewing his vows to God. In our next episode, we will cover the descendants of Esau in Genesis chapter 36, which will conclude our study in the life of Jacob. So stay tuned.